Aldous Huxley was an English writer and philosopher. He wrote nearly 50 books. And here's his quote about history. That men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons of history. Welcome to the History Slices Podcast. A mother-son duo discussing awesome bits of history. We prove on every show that history is not boring. Entertaining, yet stimulating. This is History Slices. And now, here's your hosts, Jacob and Rachel. Hi, Jacob. Hey, Mom. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Glad that we are here in lights and power and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> internet. Uh, for context, um, <laughs> if for in case you're listening to this later on out down the line or, or out of order three or whatever, years from now. Uh, we've just been through a historic storm and it very much disrupted our schedule mm-hmm. and our electrical grid mm-hmm. and our water supply. It was a whole debacle. Luckily, we're past that now. Yeah, and so thankful. And uh, we still have people in the area who are still getting power back after right. 12 days um, without power. Jeez, uh, I can't just, imagine. Yeah, gosh. I mean, I can, but I don't well, it want was, to. Uh, yeah, it was six days, I think, for us, six full days, and that wow. was uh, yeah. it was a doozy for sure. So, so anyway. Today we're going to be doing something a little different, yeah. and I'm a bit, I don't want to sound a back foot, but it's a bit weird for me, uh, if I can confess this to you. <laughs> <laughs> Anything, Jacob. Sir, because usually I'm the one who has the story, usually I have my notes all out in front of me, and I'm like, okay. Here's what we're talking about. Yeah. But this time, the Sue's on the other foot, and yeah. you, you're the one who's got the topic. So, are you feeling like I'm looking across the desk here at you, and I, you know, you don't have your laptop in no, front of you, and I I'm don't. thinking, do you feel just like a little bit exposed? It's, it's like, a little no. <laughs> it's, just, it's just different. That's all. Yeah. Uh, different's good usually. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I, I'm curious as to what we're talking about today. Well, I have greatly enjoyed the uh, research part of this topic. I don't know if you remember because it's actually been a couple weeks. Usually we record at least one a week. Yeah. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we probably mentioned this, but we're going to be talking about Ybor City. Right. Today, yeah, that's yeah. the topic. You've mentioned the city to me a couple of times. I, well, and you've been there, so you uh, know you know the place. Cities look very similar to me. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully after this episode, you're going to be 100% squared away about Ybor City. Uh, sir. Yeah. I already have some uh, background knowledge about it because it's, it's a personal place for me. It's a personal story, but I did learn some in my research too. And then... This really has given me a good insight to what you go through in preparing for talking about a new topic. You know, yeah. usually I just have the easy end. I'm just back here going, oh, what? Wow, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not asking questions, but it's really a difficult thing to gather information, figure out how to put it all together, organize it, and then um, try to make it coherent. So <laughs> uh, that's the hardest part. Yeah. So it's uh, been, it's, it was really fun digging into the information. But let me, without further ado, let me just say that. Um, so I mentioned that Ybor City is personal. It's a personal topic and it's interesting to me because my mom was born in Ybor City in a neighborhood called Palmetto Beach Okay, and uh, she was born in a house of course with my grandmother and the house is still in the family so it's Abuelita's house. And, right. Yeah. So even though I've never lived in Ybor City, grew up hearing stories about Ybor City and Tampa and my mom loved it so she talked about it and gave handed on stories and things like that so my mom passed away in 2011, your grandmother. Yes, so this I is, remember. Yeah, coming up on the 10th anniversary this year of when she passed. Um, And so I'd really like to dedicate this episode to her because I think if she were here, she would really love to hear it. So anyway, this is very sweet. Dedicated to my mom. We begin. Okay. As I said, I really struggled 
how to tell the story coherently. What I decided I would do would be like give a chronological telling or like at the history of it chronologically. Some bits are going to be a little bit more fleshed out than others because some of it's just to kind of give context and some of it's sure. got a little bit more interesting parts. I think that's a great idea and it helps me as well because I know kind of where we're going. Yeah. I, I know <laughs> that thing that you say. Like, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're like, I don't really know where we're going with this. I'm feeling that now. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a little mysterious. You're like feeling around in the dark. So I'm telling you we're going to do this sort of chronological thing with some beefy parts in it. But then we're going to go back to a couple parts that don't really fit into the timeline per se. And I just wanted to kind of flesh this out a little bit. I'm going to do that at the end. Great. But even before I get into the chronology of it, I just want to say what Ybor City is now because people may not know. What is it? Where? What are you talking about? Yeah. So Ybor City is a national historic district within the city of Tampa. It's okay. like a little city within a city. And oh, that's uh, a little confusing. If it's a district, but it's inside a city, but it's called a city. Well, it was annexed actually by ah. the city of Tampa, like in the late 1800s, ah. like 1887. So it was <laughs> that, that makes it sound like Tampa was like a like a, a country or something, <laughs> an annex. Something. Actually, Tampa was a brand new city. Well, relatively, it was a couple years old, I think. And we're going to get into how Ybor City started. And then okay. they actually annexed just means it became part of yeah. the bigger Tampa city. No, I hear that. It's usually when I hear the word annex, I think of like, you know, uh, we annexed Hawaii or something like yeah, that. You yeah, know, yeah. I, it's a different context yeah, that I'm used to. I'm not sure if it was entirely, um, well, I don't know how if everybody's happy with the annexation got, or not, yeah. but I think it was, you know, it just is what it is. Okay, so today, Ybor City is sort of a Latin, the Latin quarter of Tampa, in addition to the historic district. So it's been tried to be, I don't want to say it's like a theme city, but for people to go there for out of interest of, you know, the history of the Latin culture, nightlife, restaurants, art, that kind of thing. So people would go to Ybor City for those reasons today, you know, if they don't live and work there. Uh, so that's kind of what it looks like today. There's a newspaper called La Gaceta, which is a trilingual newspaper. Oh, and I'm okay. going to talk about it a little bit more in the thing. But today I just happened to look at it for, I forget something. And I'm going to read a quote from Patrick Mantega, who is, I think he's the grandson of the founder of oh, it. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, the so founder of the, newspaper? Uh, the founder of the newspaper. Okay. Yeah, I think it was founded in the 20s. So this is his quote today about Ebor. It says, Ebor's success comes with little public investment. While Tampa dumps millions year after year in downtown projects, Ebor thrives without much love and nurturing. Ebor City is one of the best places to live, work and play in a great city and dynamic region. Ebor City will only get better. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting because as you listen to the story I'm about to tell you about Ebor City, it's it's had like I don't say traumatic, but dynamic, dramatic, if not traumatic. Sure. It's had a really dramatic history and of sort of tenacity and survival and uh, it's kind of cool. So yeah, I, I do like how he was kind of thrown to say to Lua at Tampa there. He did. Yeah, he kind of did. And I think it's, it's interesting just the dynamics between Tampa and Ybor City and I mean, just, you know, we can speculate a lot about what he really means. Sir, yeah, I don't want to put words in this guy's mouth. With any relationship between, like, two entities, whether those are people or cities or yeah. countries or yeah. what have you, sports teams, whatever, there's always an interesting dynamic. That's what I find so fascinating about a lot of these type of things. Yeah, and that and the history of this town and, you know, Ybor City and him, if he's, I and I do believe he's, 
the grandson. So he's aware of the history of Ybor City. Oh, and and uh, you'll get to hear a little bit about the dynamics there, what, what went into that and what Ybor City's been through. So Before we jump in there, I have one question. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's probably not the most relevant thing. The newspaper, uh, what was it called again? La Gazeta or La Gazeta. Right. What uh-huh. does that mean in English? The Gazette. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty yeah. straightforward. Yeah. So the, the three languages it's printed in is um, English, Spanish, and Italian. It started okay. in Spanish and then it broadened out to Italian and English to, well, it kind of represents the population of, so there's a lot of Italians of Ybor City. Ybor yeah, City. it's very diverse. Awesome. Cool. Let's jump in and you're going to yeah. learn about, you know, who's in there. How did it get started? <laughs> how how does happen? How did that happen? Why is it Latin? What, okay, so all those good things. So, okay, so going back to uh, 1885, there is a man named Gavino Gutierrez. He was a Spaniard, I'm pretty sure. Um, With that name. Almost certain he was a Spaniard, but he was living in uh, New York City. And he was a civil engineer. I think he worked for a guava manufacturing plant. And he what okay. came down to Florida to to the Tampa Bay area looking for guavas to supply this plant. Because somebody had told him, oh, there's a lot of guavas down there. You know, it'd be great. <laughs> so he went to investigate on his own. Sure. Smart. Um, back then, it was a it was a massive trip because, you know, uh, he, I think, I don't know if he took a boat from New York to Jacksonville area or something, but there wasn't a train from mm-hmm. the East Coast of Florida to the Gulf Coast, which is where Tampa Tampa, Florida, that the Bay Area is. So he had to like take a stagecoach or something, and it was just really uncomfortable travel. I can imagine. Yeah. I've heard that uh, Florida, before like it got all urbanized and stuff, was very treacherous. Not a lot of people yeah. were there because it was very swampy and very kind of just uninhabitable. Feeling. Yeah, like it's very low to like the sea level and all, all that stuff. There's yeah. like a lot of factors Mosquitoes there. And yeah, yeah, just like. <laughs> oppressive feeling with the the uh water in the air what am i thinking the humidity yeah so anyway so this guy came came down he he made it to tampa bay area didn't see one guava anywhere okay. well it's um, a good thing he went himself then yeah <laughs> he went to go check it out and so it was kind of a bust from that perspective but he realized that the way that tampa is positioned it's it's got a bay it's got a river it was actually could potentially be a good place for business so before he went back to new york and hopefully, let me just say this as an aside for the rest of the, the episode, hopefully I've got my facts straight and the dates and everything right. So if I've, you know, made an error somewhere and you know the area, you know the history, I by all I means, will. chime and like connect yeah. with me because I love, would love to connect oh, with anybody to the, to the audience. I'd love to connect <laughs> with anybody who knows the story. And, you know, I'm, I've got some notes in front of me, but I'm trying not to do anything. Honestly, uh, let me be very frank with you. That feeling that I hope this is all accurate, but you, <laughs> that is in every episode ever because I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is, but so, someone might know bad more. Yeah. It's all good. Don't <laughs> okay. worry about it. Awesome. Okay, so going back to Gutierrez. So after he left Tampa, he didn't go straight back to New York. He wanted to go visit some friends of his who were in Key West. Okay. The friends of his were Vicente Martinez Ibor and his friend Ignacio Aya, both of whom were cigar manufacturers from Cuba. I think Aya was at, oh, actually Aya. I think had a um, cigar manufacturing place in New York as well as in Key West, and Ebor had cigar manufacturing places in Key West. I'm not sure if he still had one in in Cuba at this time. He actually fled Cuba. Uh, he was so he was exiled to Key West. Oh wow! For his safety, because he spoke out against the Spanish 
rule in Cuba because at that time Cuba was a Spanish colony. Yeah. And even though Ebor was actually originally from Spain, he'd lived in Cuba for about 15 years and he was on the side of the Cuban independence. Sure, uh, the Spanish happens. government didn't like that at <laughs> all. And so he kind of feared for his safety and his family. So he uh, moved to Key West and he eventually moved his cigar making business to Key West. And Spain is usually historically and kind of contemporarily kind of against people breaking out of their country. <laughs> I, mean, I imagine a lot of countries are like that, but I'm just reminded Once you of work hard like, to establish, you know, yes, yourself. Sir, I'm just yeah. thinking back to like, well, what's that area? And like, I think it's Northern Spain starts with a C. They're always kind of like about independence or something yeah, like that. Uh, Catalonia. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I hear about that occasionally and I'm yeah. kind of reminded of yeah. that and how like the Spanish government is like, no, <laughs> I think, um, I don't want to paint uh, any people with a broad brush, but sure. it does, it really seems like people with Spanish blood in them and maybe Latin people in general, you know, Italians, everything that they, they really are passionate about things. Mm. So, well, I mean, it's good to be passionate about stuff, honestly, especially when it comes to things like freedom. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's there, there are some things I wish I was more passionate about, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the year again is about 1885. Okay. There's this meeting in Key West with Gutierrez, Aya, and Ibor. That's so interesting. So you've got a, uh, you got like some businessmen, but like. But they're friends. They're friends, but yeah. it's just like the diverse background kind uh, of. Well, and they all, they all have the common thing that they're all from Spain originally, yeah. but yeah. they just kind of, when they came to the. But they have different like paths coming right. to the they U.S. They do. Yeah. So, so it was really like a providential meeting actually in Key West at that time for Tampa Bay, because in the conversations they had there in Key West, Gutierrez, who was like, okay, Tampa's horrible for guava, but <laughs> it could really make a great place for cigar making because um, the climate is right. It's close to Cuba, which is where all the tobacco comes from. And it would be a great place to set up, you know, shop up there. At the time, it makes sense. both Aya and Ibor were looking for another place to be because the situation and just I can tell right now this is going to go way longer than one episode. That's fine. Okay. So at the time of this meeting of the three friends, Ebor was looking for a new place to set up shop in Key West. Ebor was actually having labor issues because the workers would leave Key West to go back to Cuba and they'd like come back and forth between Cuba and Key West. So he had a hard time keeping a consistent labor force. Right. That happens yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And Aya, who I think he's his, uh, he was established in New York, his cigar factories, and he was having trouble up there because he couldn't produce cigars year round because of the climate. So they were both kind of in the market for a new place to. Uh, set up shop for cigar factories. So when they met with Aya and Aya had all these, I'm sorry, not Aya, when they met with Gutierrez and he had all these good things to say about the Tampa Bay area. They're like awesome. They're <laughs> like awesome. And like the next day, there's a ferry that would travel between Key West and the Tampa Bay area, like weekly at that time. I, it probably was like a paddle right, kind of ferry yeah. or something. But this is the 1880s. 1880s. So. Yeah. So they um, decided like the next day to go up there and check it out. So they went up there. They were happy with what they saw. And uh, I don't know the exact dates and timelines and everything, but at that time, the population of Tampa itself was about 750 people. That's it. Wow. Yeah. And... That's very small. It's like so that's, small. It's like an outpost. Almost. I would not call that. That's like a town. That's not like a city. And in fact, it wasn't even a city yet. It wasn't the city okay. of Tampa at that time. It was just sure. the town of Tampa, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
I'm sorry to keep interrupting. No, that's but fine. I'm just, I, I, that number is so shocking to me. Uh, it was like 100 and something? 750. 750. Okay, all right. Like a third of your high school class yeah, or I your know, high school. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Like my high school, I think, had more people than that. Yeah, your high it. school had over 2,000 people. Yeah, so. So a couple things happened. So at the time, they were, like I said, they were looking for a new place to be. They had already had offers from other places in the southeastern United States, Galveston, uh, someplace I think in Alabama, and I can't remember, a third sure. place, at least three other places had that not area. only tried to offer them, like, hey, come build your factories here, but giving incentives and that sort of thing. Yeah, the South. Yeah, yeah. that part of the South. So they were encouraging, they wanted some sort of industry to come to their towns to, you know, build. Yeah. So boost the economy, uh, yeah, get exactly. some money flowing. Yeah. yeah. So at that time there was not, like I said, there was not a, even a railroad going into Tampa from other parts, but um, there was one coming. So it was sort of an up and coming area. It was getting ready to be connected to the outside world, sort of that sort of thing. A deal was eventually made where Ebor bought, so Ebor was the first one to buy land there. He bought 500 acres. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, right off the bat and quickly grew into 2,000 acres that he bought. Aya also bought some land there, but only after Ebor sort of made that first move, I believe. <laughs> I, I like that, actually. It's, <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, okay, before you jump full end, like yeah. feet first, let's wait for other someone yeah. else to go first. So it's okay, so we're doing this. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> and so he goes, but the the uh, it was really like a touch and go a little bit because Ebor wasn't happy with the price of the, the first parcel of land that he was offered, and he was getting ready to leave to go to talk to I don't I remember if it was Galveston or whoever to try because he was in a hurry to get this done. Sure. Um, and then at that time there's um a council in Tampa, I some sort of business council, I forget who they were, um, they decided they would subsidize the purchase of his land to keep him there in Tampa. So he finally, they reached a deal and uh, he established, you know, his place there. It was called Ebor City. I uh, think it was originally called Ebor's City. That then, makes sense. Yeah. Okay, I was going to ask, like, did he name it after himself? Because yeah, no, that think seems was, a little yeah, dickheaded. I think it was just called Ebor's and City. Like, and welcome to <laughs> Jacobville. <It's>, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. So um, I had no idea. I'm sorry. Before we start, I had no idea Ebor City was named after a person. Oh, no kidding. Ebor. Yeah. No kidding. No idea. Uh, I don't know where the, I thought the name came from. But yeah. Yeah. So that was really interesting. I wonder if when you were in Ebor City, because you've been there, I wonder if you just thought we were just in Tampa. But it's very that's possible. An that might be yeah. where some of my confusions <laughs> come from. Yeah. So it turns out, so both Ebor and Aya built these cigar factories. The first one, the first cigar actually gets credited to Aya's factory because okay. actually it's kind of detailed, but in uh, Ebor's factory, and I think this might have been in Key West, Ebor's factory, uh, they, they had a Spanish foreman, not a Cuban foreman, and they didn't want to work under him or something. So they were kind of like on a little strike. Oh, it's so like 10 so cents between the Even though Cubans Ebor was a first, yeah. And, and that ends up being kind of a, a constant theme sort of throughout the next few decades is, wow. you know, the um, relationship between the Cubans and the Spaniards and having to do with the is, different wars and things like is that. Is Tampa like a... I don't know if this is like the right way to phrase this question or if, if it is even like a smart question or not. Is Tampa more of a Spanish city and Ebor is like more Cuban or? That's a good question. So um, like I'm wondering how far that division goes basically is what I'm asking. I wouldn't say, I would actually say that 
Ybor City and an area called West Tampa are quote-unquote Latin areas, more so Ybor City, which Cuban, Spanish, Italian, but a lot of Spanish and probably Cubans in originally settled like in the West Tampa area. Outside okay. of that, a lot of, I think, what they would just call Anglos or what they would even have called crackers back then, you know, <laughs> and there's a reason for them so to be called that. So white people. Yeah. 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 Outside of that. So whether or not Tampa is, I mean, it's really hard to know how to define that now. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how, how outsiders would define that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I was just curious because you were telling me that, and I'm sorry, going to go more into detail, but this division between, um, Cuban people living in the area and Spanish people living in the area and like I was wondering just how much that's that played in such like a the, good question it's it not, went on for decades apparently actually so. division is not really the right word because sure. they did work hand in hand and so tension maybe or? and not always tension sometimes it wasn't sometimes it wasn't okay it's complicated it is very complicated yeah. and so some of it I'll spell out a little bit as we go on but a lot, keep in mind that a, a lot of the Cubans actually were from Spanish descent. So there's also overlapping, you know, of loyalties. And mm-hmm. then once once in Ybor City, Spaniards marrying Cubans. And yeah, and sometimes it's just like, um, I can't remember if it was Ybor or Iowa. Is his name? Aya. It's Aya. H-A-Y-A. Aya. Oh, wow. Ignacio Aya. Don't tell me how it's spelled because I would <laughs> totally have mispronounced that. Like Hawa or something. <laughs> Whichever one was... Um, um, had left Cuba because of trouble with the Spanish authorities. Yeah, that was Ebor. Ebor, yeah. He was, he's uh, Spanish, you said, but yes. his kind of loyalties or his uh, favor is more towards the Cuban people. Yeah. So, so sometimes you just have like people who just jump lines and exactly. you wouldn't necessarily Exactly, that's what expect. I mean by it's, it's complicated. It's not that there were these like this clearly defined tension or anything between the Spanish and the Cuban because they a lot of times they had the same goals, but sometimes because of how they thought or where they were from or what was going on outside, like in Cuba or in Spain, depending on the decade, you know, they people thought of them differently and like I said, that passion thing, you know, yeah. people spoke their mind. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was, not much of a filter. I think a very interesting place to live. So we're still at the very beginning. We're still at the birth of Ebor City. Yeah, sorry, here. I didn't mean to get us. Oh, on a no, no, no trouble at all. Curious. I just know that this is long and it's probably going to be two episodes. That's fine. <laughs> at least. So, okay. So to show you how fast things moved, 1885, they visited Ybor City or Ybor City was born. I think they actually were there in 1884. My apologies. That's but, fine. Um, by 1886, the first cigar workers arrived from Cuba. 176 workers' houses were constructed. Those houses were called casitas, which okay. I'm going to talk about a little bit later. All right. And there were already 3,000 people uh, handcrafting cigars in new factories. Wow. Like the year after this whole thing. So things were moving very fast. One thing is, is that cigar making is really like a, a craft. You know, it's not something that you, anybody could just walk in and do. So there were apprenticeships. Like it's a really highly regarded You have to learn. Ability. What it's, skill. It's, yeah, it's not like... Like a assembly line thing where someone can just be like, you know, yeah. do this bit, then this person does this bit. It's like you kind of have to, I don't know anything about cigar making, but I get the impression that you kind of have to do the whole thing or at least know how to do like You have to know. Thing. So they, there were specialty tasks within the cigar factory. Sure. Like some people would be the, the rollers and the makers. Other people would be picking out the tobacco leaves and, you know, but there's also people who 
who probably worked in the shipping, you know, bringing it in and sending it out, that sort of thing. So there were lots of different roles. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that too later. Oh, okay. Um, cool. In particular, one role in the cigar factory, which is called the lector, elector, which is the reader. Very fascinating. We're going to talk about that towards the end. Okay, so 1886, things are already cooking. Right. Uh, we're 18, in business. We're, we're in business. <laughs> we're booming. 1890, the population of Ybor, Ybor City, 6,000. Wow. Remember I mean, just imagine. Like a- five years earlier. Tampa only had 750 people. Yeah, I imagine it's because all the workers coming in and their families coming with them. They did. And, you know, in, in the beginning, people had to believe enough in, in Ebor and Aya and the whole situation to move their families from Key West or from Cuba to come up there to nothing. There was no city. There weren't roads. Yeah. Uh, there was nothing there. And at the beginning, workers were a little bit reluctant, like the first year, first year and a half to commit to coming up there. So um, even though that seems like a large number, it actually was a little bit slow starting. And then another creation thing happened is that soon after, like it was within the same year or so that they began, there was a terrible fire in oh, Key geez. West, which devastated lots of the, the factories down there, both, I think, the Ebor one and the Aya one that were both in Key West. So Man. now the workers were like, okay, go back to Cuba or yeah. come up to Tampa to work. When was this? Like in, in release the 18, like 1880. Seven, something like that. So, me, like, they're starting out. They got this whole thing, and then a big fire happens. Talk, the, the the fire happened in Key West. When, right. Yeah. I see. Talk about terrible timing. I'm reminded. This is a completely different scale, but I'm reminded of like when they're filming the first Star Wars movie in like Tanzania or whatever, you know, in the desert, and they got the worst rainstorm in like decades. The, the day they were filming, uh, like the the odds of that happening is yeah. c- crazy. So it's just. And sometimes when things like that happen, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. other things are affected. In this case, it, it was it was actually ended up being terrible luck that I'm sure a lot of money and homes and probably lives were lost in the fire down there. But from the um, perspective of being able to establish Ybor City and have enough workers to facilitate this industry, it was a good thing because now the workers were going to stay in Tampa. They're not going to bounce back and forth between Tampa and Key West or Key West and Cuba or whatever. They were kind of in Tampa. (laughs) So Tampa started to be able to be built. Partly it was kind of pushed along because of this fire in Key West. Interesting. Okay, so 1890, population 6,000. Not only do we have Ebor and Aya's factories, of course, but other cigar manufacturers from Havana, from Key West, and other places in the United States started moving factories to Tampa Bay. About 200 factories, 200 factories, where there were only 750 people, not even a decade ago, now there's 200 factories there. And Ebor City became known as the cigar capital of the world. I have heard that, actually. I think I forgot about it, but when you say cigar capital of the world, I'm like, oh, that does ring a bell. Yeah. Um, So does lightning capital of the world, I think. (laughs) I don't know that one. But anyway, there were 12,000, more than 12,000. Is that because they're really speedy? Lightning. Oh, (laughs) okay. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with the cigar workers. It has to do with just the The, frequent thunderstorms. Oh, that's that's (laughs) a less fun. Not having to do with the hockey team or anything. I see. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So now get this 12,000 plus workers were employed in the cigar industry. And and this is in 1890, 700 million cigars were produced a year. Wow. 700 million. That's quite the stock. Uh, they must have been making some, like, a lot of cash then. If, like... uh, yeah, it actually was was doing pretty well. It was doing pretty well. So um, immigrants came to 
work in the cigar industry from Cuba, Spain, and Italy, primarily. Well, Italy, Italians came last, I believe, and they came primarily okay. from the Sicilian, I from was, Sicily. Oh, I was going to say that one's a little far out because, like, Cuba, okay, it's right there. Spain, okay, it's kind of tied to Cuba. Yeah. It's kind of in that same sphere, so to yeah. speak. Italy is, like, and Middle the, East, Southern is Europe. The, <laughs> this is the trouble with getting into the research is that um, I always knew that there are Italians in Ybor City, and part of my research touched on that they actually, I think, came in, they entered into Ybor City um, from like New Orleans, I think, if I'm getting my facts oh, straight, interesting. Um, because of some uh, like a sheriff's, like the head sheriff guy or whatever in New Orleans was shot by an Italian person and all the Italians were kicked out of the city, something like that. And oh, so some geez. of them found their way to Tampa. So that was one of those branches of the research where I'm like, okay, Rachel, stop. You yeah. can't go down that. You've got to stick to the yeah. facts. No, I know you mean, because now I'm thinking about like how New Orleans is a very French yeah. city. Yeah. And I'm like, man, America is such a melting And again, I hope, I hope it was New Orleans that... Or New Orleans, New Orleans, who, however you say however it. However you say um, it. Yeah. Um, hopefully that was where <laughs> they came from. But I, I thought, I imagined that had, they had come, you know, like straight to Sicily. Tampa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I didn't realize. So that's just another sidebar. That is interesting, though. And all these things I had to sort of cut off around the edges because even though they're interesting, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to tell welcome a to my cohesive world. story. Welcome, <laughs> so. no, welcome to my world. The reason why we do a lot of like looking at historical people is because yeah. there's a very definite beginning and Ending. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it a little bit easier. It's not like, yeah, it, it's not like, well, I could talk about this or talk about that, but before you know it, you're like yeah. a thousand miles off of what you're <sighs> oh trying gosh, to talk about. Oh my gosh, you're trying about. to get back to. So uh, Cubans, Spanish, and Italians. So this cultural mix of people at that time was really unusual in the American South. Sure, yeah. Um, those Each of those groups of people created these mutual aid societies or clubs where were kind of helped to help take care of each other. And I kind of thought that's all that it was about. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that too. But what I learned in my research is that they were they began sort of as revolutionary uh, support for Cuban independence in many cases. That's um, interesting. Yeah, and I, I didn't realize that. So oh, is that just the, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. No, that's fine. Is that just the Cuban kind of groups or yes. were the uh, like Italian and Spanish groups? No, primarily the Cubans. I guess um, that makes sense. Started that Cuban, but I'm, sh- yeah. I'm, I think it was primarily just the Cubans. I, sure. I don't know if the Italians were even quite if they were even prevalent like in 1898 to 91. I'm I, sure they were aware. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It makes sense to me because it's like if you have a group of people who agree on something and they're already kind of hanging out with each other, yeah. you know, that's going to spark something. Yeah, 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 yeah that's true. So that's okay. how political parties form. <laughs> really very. It was a center for it was like a political hotbed because a lot of the people that were cigar workers were from Cuba or from Key West. And a lot of them felt very patriotic towards Cuba and, and Cuba's independence from Spain. Sure. So just a lot of patriots, Cuban patriots there. Uh, in 1891, one of the leaders of the Cuban revolution, his name was Jose Martí. He came and spoke to people in Ybor City and tried to raise support, raise funds for the fight against Spain. So this was 1891. And his... Marti was just a really great guy. There's actually a statue of him in Ybor City. Oh, cool. Um, he was fighting not just for freedom from Spanish rule, but he also was hoping, you know, fighting against racism and oppression and exploitation of people. Nice. 
while he was in Tampa, he announced the creation of the Cuban Revolutionary Party, or the PRC. Okay. And within five years of his speaking in Ybor City in 1891, there were 41 patriotic clubs in Ybor City and West Tampa. Those 41 clubs, patriotic clubs, were the backbone of the PRC. Cool. I mean, really, that's sometimes all you need is just like a, a charismatic person and a, a cause or at least a position a lot of people yeah. agree with. And yeah, you got like yeah. a movement going. And he went on and fought and died in the war. And some people from Ybor City you know, also fought and died in the the war against um, Spain. Here's the trouble with timelines, too, is because it's not straight. No. So there's a lot of things that that overlap. I just want to say just a very interesting note, aside from the whole Cuban Revolution thing going on, is that between 1887 and 1893, nearly 20% of the labor force in the cigar factories were women. Oh, wow. And I thought that was really fascinating at that time that so many should be women. But anyway, so... That's um, interesting. Yeah, so in 1893, there's the Cuban War for Independence, 1895. In 1898, the war between the U.S. and Spain, mm-hmm. uh, U.S. sided with Cuba for independence, yeah. was taking place. Thousands of men, U.S. I think, I'm sorry, yeah. I think I might have mentioned that in one of you our immigration You did. It was the episodes. last one, I believe, that okay. you mentioned. Wow. But you know, I'm I like, know. that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that sounds, yeah, yeah you're, you're okay. right. I could see you over there. You had your thinking face uh, on. <laughs> I had the gears turning, yeah. Okay, sorry. Continue, continue. I just, well, thousands of men, because of the position of um, Tampa and Ybor City with the bay and the access to Cuba from there, you know, by boat, it was a good place for people to be stationed uh, or to station troops. And they were positioned in there in Ybor City. Have you ever heard of Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders? Of course, yeah. So the Rough Riders were in Tampa Bay. And I think they were maybe even in Palmetto Beach, which is the neighborhood where my grandparents and great-grandparents lived. Um, That's interesting. And yeah, and they... The history there. There's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting little tidbits of stories about the Rough Riders in Tampa, but um, I didn't gather, I didn't gather too much trivia about that, but... That's fine. Anyway, so um, the war ended, Cuba gained its independence, and um, it had a big impact on Ybor City because now... Cuban workers in Ybor City were like, well, should we go back to Cuba or should we stay here? Because by now they've been making a home in Tampa, you know, so people had to sort of face that decision of going back to Cuba where they still had family maybe and where their kids were born or if they should just stay there. So it's always a hard decision to make. I'm sure it must have been. If you have ties to multiple places and you're not sure. Yeah, I know that one personally is hard when you have ties to multiple places. (laughs) Where to go around the same time? Jim Crow in the South, social tensions were surfaced um, because people from Cuba, there were Afro-Cubans, I think they called them, and white Cubans, so that you had black and white Cubans, and sometimes... Cuba has a lot of, it's very um, ethically diverse in terms of, like, skin color and, like, background they, They got along, they had this common fight for Cuban independence... They were also having to be separated in certain ways, but they really still got along. But they like they were required to have different clubhouses and things like that. Right. So Terrible it created thing. some some tensions for sure. By 1900, and we're still really in the you know baby years here. Um, the hand rolled cigars that came from Tampa, the quality surpassed those from Cuba. 
Oh, wow. That sounds like a very subjective statement. Uh, it does, but I hear a lot about like Cuban cigars, you know, mm-hmm. and like how they're good. All the tobacco was still coming from Cuba. It was still sourced from right. Cuba. But yeah. But they just had like a better cigars themselves or I don't know. They, they created a superior cigar, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I, I've never smoked a cigar, so I wouldn't know quite like, I can't really wrap my head around that. Yeah, how to tell what's good, what's not good yeah, and stuff I'm like sure that. Yeah, I'm sure you could tell. It's mm, probably like coffee or something. Yeah. yeah, where it's like, oh yeah, this tastes like it's from like the <laughs> the West Coast or something. Yeah, I don't know. They would, somebody would know. Yeah, they had a reputation. So the cigar industry was booming like the first years of the 20th century. So for like 1902 to 1906, the industry just booming. So immigration at this time was really easy. Like basically you just had to show up and give your first and last name and you were kind of welcomed into Ybor City. You know, people were happy to see you and there was a community for you to fit into. Everything was kind of in Spanish and, you know, it, it didn't really even feel like part of the United States to to one account that I read. It was like, I, I'm standing here in Ybor City and everything's in Spanish. I don't feel like this is part of the United it's States. It's like its own little world. It was, it was like its own little world. Exactly. Yeah. There are some areas like that today in the country. I'm sure that there are some kind of isolated places. It's like a a town where like you're all a bunch of like Norwegian Americans or something (laughs) like that, you know, and it's like. It has a definite distinct culture. Yeah. It looks like it's from Northern Europe, but it's actually in Minnesota or wherever, Uh you know. Yeah. 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 I think that's really cool. So in 1902, one of these social clubs I'm going to tell you about a little bit more was founded in 1902. This one I, I mentioned specifically because it's the Centro Asturiano. It was actually called Centro Asturiano de Habana. So it was from Asturias, which is where a lot of the people who came from Spain, it's the northern province of Spain. Right. They founded their own club. That's where my and your ancestors are from, that province, and that's the club they belong to. Uh, so that's why I mentioned that one specifically. There's sure. actually another one, the Centro Español, which is a Spanish club. And it's interesting that there were two Spanish, two different Spanish clubs, one the Spanish club and one this unique province in Spain club. I always kind of wondered why that was this why there was a distinction and it turns mm. out that they split because at one time the Centro Asturiano wanted to build a hospital and there's some disagreement about it and so they people split and formed the, the Asturiano. I, I swear people will find every reason and make up a reason if there isn't one to facts and a lot <laughs> yeah like that's just what we do that's a good that's a good point so yeah. anyways really really and like with so many topics that you've talked about any one of these bits uh, we could do a whole episode on just the Centro Asturiano I think and the history there because it's so rich and interesting okay so sure. moving on the timeline now because there's a lot to cover. Right. Uh, in 1907, there was a fire. There seemed to be a lot of fires, um, but it destroyed a lot of homes in Ybor City. A lot of them were built of wood because that's what was the prevalent resource there. So sure. while a lot of the factories were built with, eventually built with bricks and stones, um, the homes were built with wood. In fact, the house in Palmetto Beach is a wooden house and it's uh, still on the brick pillars that they built houses on back then to get them out of the muck. Yeah, out of the swamp <laughs> yeah. that Florida is. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, in 1910, there was a big strike. This is actually called the second general strike that stopped work in the factories for like six months. There were strikes and labor strife sort of riddled throughout the history. That that could be its own topic. I'm not going to get into it too much, but it disrupted work a lot. And so there's a lot of that going on, a lot of tensions like that. 1914 to 1918, World War One. Right, yeah. Um, At this time, there's still hundreds of cigar factories, more than 20,000 workers, 
400 million cigars produced annually. And at the end of the war, oh, though, is that just Ybor City or is that Ybor just, in Tampa? That's uh, Ybor City, I believe, although okay. it could have been including the cigar factories in West Tampa. Sure. Good I, question. I was just curious. Yeah, could have just been sort of the Tampa area. But when the war ended, the immigration laws were modified from coming in and just giving your name. They were very restrictive. It was almost impossible to come in and work. So if you got in in that time, that window of time before World War One, kind of it was easy. And that's actually when my great grandparents came over was in I think in the like the 1910s, you know, in that right. first handful of years of that century. But in 1925 to 1930, the cigar industry already began to decline. So after the war in the 1930s to the 1940s. So we're talking Great Depression time. Yeah. 25 percent of the white immigrants and about half of the Afro-Cuban immigrants left Ybor City to either go find work elsewhere. Or there just wasn't enough work to be had. That was a real rough time for, I think, everyone. I imagine. I imagine it must have been such a hard time. And it's it's weird looking back, reading about it and talking about it, you know, because it's it's over. So yeah. there's not, you know, the question of how. But when you're in the middle of something mm -hmm. and going through it, it's it's really difficult. And not Not that it's like the same in terms of trouble or like problems it caused but in terms of like like i i'm just thinking of covid right now and i'm thinking how totally. like in a, like five years you know or 10 years whenever we're gonna be looking back at this and this is gonna be a history thing it's not gonna be like it, it's gonna be something that you can look back on history and see oh yeah that this had a big effect and affected a lot of stuff but it's over now you yeah, know so yeah. it's just one of those and right now when we're living in it it's like we the end is unknown still it's like yeah remember that time we had to wear our masks for a year and a half you yeah know, it was like, yeah what a drag that was and all the businesses <laughs> that you know went under mm -hmm. and just uh, all it's, the it's, impact it's not quite the same thing but it is like it's just history is constantly happening, I yeah, guess, is what I'm saying. It is. And so we're living history. But yeah, it doesn't really feel yeah. like history until you're looking back on it. Somewhere. Exactly. Uh the the last thing I want to say, then you can get back into it. Yeah. Sorry, I had no, another thought when you're talking about the Great Depression is the not the funniest, because that's not the right word for it, but the thing that always gets me about the Great Depression is um President Hoover at the beginning of it saying how it's fine, don't worry, it'll be over in like a uh, like a week or whatever. <laughs> like wow, huh? he was really tr trying to downplay yeah, it a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's probably lots of reasons. I'm sure, the, I'm sure, but one being nobody can predict the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, gosh, that's amazing. He's had a lot it? of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to the 1930s to the 1940s, people are exiting Ybor City. 1936 to 1939, the Spanish Civil War is going on. Have you ever, have you heard much about the Spanish Civil War? Oh, geez, not enough. Uh, wait, I'm sorry, what was the years again? It was 36 to 39. 36. So this was, um, is this when Franco came into power? Yes. Yeah. See, you knew more than I, I knew. I, I knew that he... I, I mean, I know, I've known that now for yeah, some time. Yeah, I, I know that he was the... Was he fascist? He was. Yeah, the fastest dictator of Spain during like for like a, a period of time, like, like I, almost four decades. Yeah, I want to say up to like the seventies, but it I don't was, know if that's yeah, accurate. Jay, you're right. It was yeah. up to seventy five. And when I he know died. the reason why um, Spain didn't join the Axis during World War Two is because they're in the middle of their civil war, and so it wasn't really like uh, Germany or Italy or Japan, which had already been. Like, what year did World War Two start? Oh, nineteen thirty eight. 39? Yeah. Uh, what like a messy time 30s. to be. Oh, it, it was a 
dominoes of disasters. Yeah, really. seriously. So my mom was born in 1937, and I was just sure. reading some of her memoirs in sort of in preparation of this. Yeah. And so she, she was in Spain at the time? No, she's in, she was born in Ybor City oh, in right, Tampa. Right. And so in 1937, so in the middle of all this, and she was recounting how um, until she was like eight, I think, all she heard about was war. Like she was born into the war, like listening to the war stuff on the news. So it's her earliest memories of around age four or five, she can remember war and, you know, sacrificing stuff and the war effort and the war garden, all kinds of stuff like that having to do with, she said people in her, on her street and her block and her family, everybody knew somebody who was in the war and then the war was over and she remembers the parades in the streets and just like spontaneous celebrations and things like that. Because the war was over? Yeah, because the war finally ended. Um, I'm kind of jumping ahead and jumping off a little Sir, bit. But how just, long did the, I'm sorry, how long did the war last? Like, um, No, not the Sp Spanish Civil War. I'm talking oh. about, the, I'm sorry, I'm talking about World War II. Oh, okay, my that apologies. makes more yeah, sense. Yeah, no, I'm I was, sorry. I was like, she huh. was talking about, um, well, I'm going to get back to the Civil War, Sir. Spanish Civil War in a minute, but just because we started talking about World War II. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, and how it impacted the United States states and how for somebody who was born during that time mm -hmm. i mean you're born into that and that's all you kind of know you don't really have it you don't have a place to put that kind of in as in a normal backdrop you know like that is your backdrop i don't know it's just kind of a weird thing anyway sorry we got a little off on world no, war ii no no it's it's fine it did impact right. world war ii really did impact this community as well but okay so the spanish civil war was taking place in from 36 to 39 okay um and just to kind of clear it up, so there were so the nationalists, years. which were the rebels, they received aid from fascist Italy and Nazi Germany. Right. They were funded, and that was uh, Franco's party. Yeah. Um, the Republicans received aid from the Soviet Union, and they received aid and support from the International Brigade. Brigade. So those were uh, groups of people, volunteers from Europe and the United States who went and fought or supported them. There's one called the Abraham Lincoln Brigade uh -huh. that, I mean, and again, a whole other episode could be done about Sir, that. It's so fascinating. There's so much stuff to unpack there. Uh, yeah. Like the fact that, and it, you could tell this is like World War II times yeah. because America and the Soviet Union were on the same side. In but this really thing. it wasn't the American government. Right. They were like was independent this, people who... Yeah were idealistic and wanted to help. And there were reasons that, you know, probably financial and political reasons that America wasn't jumping in to sure. help, you know, well, this, we had this just, democratically elected government. Yeah, well, we had just got uh, just, you know, we got out of World War One, and then we just suffered like a massive depression. Yeah. So it was like there was the reason we were so late in coming into World War Two is like we didn't really come in proper until Pearl Harbor, which was a couple of years down the line. Yeah. Was uh, that like 41 or something? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Is because a lot of the public was sick and tired Ugh. of troubles. And we we're like, we want to just stay home yeah. in America. Lick you know? our wounds. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and not get involved with in another global conflict. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so that might have had something to do with it. It's hard. It's just really hard to imagine all that going on. But while this was happening, because it was the Spanish Civil War, and there are so many Spaniards, and even the Cubans, who, like I said, also had Spanish roots lots of times, um, really wanted to support the effort. So some of them were involved, like volunteered and actually went there, but a lot of them um, were involved in the way of uh, donating. Like some of them don't, many of them donated 10% of their salary to the cause of the, you know, the Republic and, wow. and trying to push back Franco's whatever. So 
the the whole community supported. And I heard stories like firsthand from my mom growing up telling what she remembers about hearing stories about that herself. So it was, it turns out like about 2,800 American volunteers went to fight and support. Not some of them fought, some of them were like doctors and other people who tried to support um, the Abe Lincoln Brigade. In the end though, General Franco, of course he won the war or his side won the war. And again, his, the regime lasted until he died in 75. The number of deaths during that three year period impossible to determine <laughs> i a saw a couple yeah i saw a couple different accounts and they vary widely from right. five hundred thousand to a million wow so that, that's quite that's civilian quite the soldiers all sides you know yeah. the whole thing so i wonder if that over one percent of the spanish population oh geez i want that uh not decrepancy. That's something different. Discrepancy. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder that these, uh, that conflict between like the differing numbers. I wonder if that's because some lists are not counting like civilian casualties or not. I, I or, think so because they probably um, account for them in different ways. So there's civilians, there's the soldiers on one side, the soldiers on the other sure. side. So depending on who you're counting. Yeah. And then it talked about not only during the war but after the war because even after the war, Franco went and like went after. After people who had been against him. So oh, yeah. people died after the war. Oh, yeah. And well, then that's what dictators do. <laughs> something I saw, a little factoid I saw, was there was a uh, drop in in the birth rate afterward because, of course, all those people had died. So all those people of, you know, young soldier age people, sure. fighting age, whatever, died so that there was a, uh, a lull in birth rates. So you could also almost count that as, you know, the population decrease. I don't know, not, those aren't really... It's not death, no. but it's... It's, uh, it's an impact to the population. Sure, yeah. That happens. Like uh, Japan currently is not because of like dictatorship or anything like that, but they have a problem with not enough people being born. Like their population is shrinking because like, I, I can't remember, like the average age of a Japanese person is like significantly older than it is in like a lot of other countries mm. for whatever reason. Mm. So it's just, it, it's like a ongoing problem over there. Isn't that something? Yeah. Uh, yeah. For like a, uh, I'm sorry, a number of reasons. All we need are more problems to think about. I know, <laughs> oh I know, gosh. but it's just, it's just curious yeah, though, you know. It really is so fascinating. Stuff like that happens. So, okay. So. Just to kind of go recap, that was the sure. end of the 30s. Right. Between the 40s and the 60s in Ybor City, because the cigar industry has really declined, there was a series of complex urban renewal policies that happened, and it, it was pretty convoluted. I couldn't come away with a clean answer, and I didn't want to spend more time, like, <laughs> that's fine. you know, getting lost in that. But in 1945, post-World War II, Ybor City continued to decline, even though Tampa felt some sort of like a resurgence and it the continued decline was due uh, not only to the effects of the great depression still but mechanization of making cigars oh they yeah. weren't all hand rolled so the machines came in started doing them faster um and also the rise of popularity of cigarettes because people mm-hmm. stopped being able to afford cigars so they turned to cigarettes i guess i um, have a question because yeah. obviously cigarettes are very unhealthy for you are cigars unhealthy? Yeah, well, I'm wondering, <laughs> like, are cigars less unhealthy or more unhealthy? Honestly, I don't know, but... Such a good and I, question. I, I'm sure that didn't come up in your Here's research. Here's my, my guess, because it's definitely not researched, but to me, sure. I'm thinking tobacco, uh, cigars, tobacco, pure tobacco leaves. Cigarettes have chemicals Nicotine. and other kinds of crap in them. Yeah. Um, so... I know that you could still die from lung cancer, probably from smoking too many cigars. But I think, sure. I mean, if I had to pick one over the other, I think cigars might be um, slightly less terrible. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I'm not sure, but 
Um, boy, they sure smell good. Uh, okay. <laughs> they smell, they, I think they smell really good. They have a really distinct smell. That's, it's probably not to disgrace you, but I think it might be an acquired taste. I'm saying. sure it probably is. I've never actually tried to smoke a cigar. Sure. Um, well, I, I just know that I like, I love root beer. Like, yeah. I can drink root beer all day, but if you give root beer to an European, they think it tastes like cough medicine. Yeah. So <laughs> like, it's just a acquired thing. Yeah. You well, apparently it was a it. very popular acquired taste because millions of millions of these puppies sure, are made yeah. and, and uh, distributed <laughs> throughout the world. So, so there's something good about them. Uh, clearly. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Other things, for them. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> other things that contributed to the decline of Ybor City were that after the war and people came back, the houses in Ybor City were a lot of them were the originals from the turn of the century or before they were wooden. They were starting to show their age, dilapidated, that sure. sort of thing. And veterans who were coming home, the government offered incentives for housing. So buy a new house, build a new house, and they got some sort of financial incentive to do that. Well, there wasn't any room in Ybor City to build new houses and the ones that were there weren't new. <laughs> so right. that caused a lot of them to, to not return to Ybor City. Also, there were incentives, um, government incentives for vets to go get an education, go to college. And so a lot of them went away to college, came back to the Tampa Bay area. But maybe if they did, they didn't settle back in Ybor City. They went to West Tampa or Tampa to settle again. They didn't return. So that was really the first generation that left Ybor City since its founding. So really a lot of factors that contributed to this booming town coming down. Okay, that was 1945. Okay. 1954, <laughs> uh, there were five Spanish-language publications in Ybor City, so Spanish still vibrant, 1950s. Yeah. The Tampa population in 54 was about 200,000 people. Okay. 10% of them were quote-unquote Latins. The tobacco industry, there's about 150 factories, so, you know, minimized, yeah. diminished it, it, amount. It, there's like a definite drop-off or yeah. decrease, maybe there's a better word for it. Because it went from really booming and then it got kind of hit by the like kind of the one, two, three punts of yeah. like Great Depression, World War II. Mechanization. All, yeah, mechanization, yeah. which wrecks havoc on people's income. Yeah. Uh, it always has. It's one of those things that's like, well, it's going to happen naturally. Yeah. But it's also like. Growing pe pains. Pe yeah. People rarely are prepared for it. Yeah. Yeah. For real. For real. Mm -hmm. Okay, 1960s, uh, one of the descriptions I read about Ybor City was that it was an urban slum. Wow. Now, mind you, all this, while I'm doing all this research, I'm picturing my grandmother because she lived in the same house. Sure. You know, and I tried to think back going to visit her, you know, in the 70s or whatever. But it's really like it just was falling apart. So that's somebody's description was it was an urban slum. 1965 or so, there was a federal urban renewal project. So what was supposed to happen with this is they're like, okay, so... We're going to get rid of all the old, ugly stuff, the unsightly parts. old, slightly rotten, right. wooden houses. From like and a, we're going to rebuild. We're going to make it shiny ago. and like do something to, to draw tourists or whatever. Sure. So yeah. um, Ybor City was not the only area I'm that sure was, was involved in this project. It was it was many, I guess, but uh, I, of course, only focused on this one. Sure. I'm sure there was a number of places like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm there, sure. There, I mean, honestly, there's probably still places like I'm, that I'm in the sure. country. Yeah, I'm sure that there are. Um, so at that time, a number of neighborhoods and historic buildings were raised, R-A-Z-E-D, so they were flattened, right. taken out. <laughs> good good <Yeah>. spelling, because <laughs> that word can mean several different things. Yeah, um, including one of the social clubs called the Marti Maceo Club, which was the Cuban club for the 
Afro-Cubans. Okay. That was the only club that was destroyed. So it also seems like Mm. um, predominantly African-American neighborhoods were targeted during this raising, the urban renewal. It would not be the first time or probably the last time that um, that's happened. Yeah. And it's funny how even like sometimes like good intentions really can have some really negative effects for certain populations or subpopulations. Especially if you put bigoted areas. people in charge of that. Well, bigoted, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that happened here because I don't know all the details, yeah. but I'm just saying that I do know that that does happen sometimes. Yeah, and it, and it could yeah. happen knowingly and it could happen not knowingly. Sir. So there's a lot there that, again, could be unpacked or researched further, Sir. but that's just one of the one of the things that apparently came about. The plan to rebuild and draw new residents and tourists to that, you know, the Ybor City's Latin Quarter mm-hmm. didn't actually materialize. Oh, really? Either politically there wasn't the willpower behind it or there wasn't the financial power to do that so empty lots like oh, wow. it just laid it just looked barren you know yeah but they didn't get all of it but so, so they raised a bunch of stuff old and kind of lapidated to empty and yeah plain. right but during that time some people were like wait 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 you know there's some historic buildings here and and a, a right. movement was started to preserve some of the buildings so like over 900 of the original structures were preserved around this time too a massive interstate went through i4 went through uh, was built and cut through ebor city like Cut it off between north and south. Um, So that also contributed to the downfall of it. So anyway, just like one hit after the other. Yeah. And that so that makes me drawing back to that thing I said at the beginning uh, where, you know, Tampa's pouring all this money into downtown Tampa and Ybor City kind of just continues to, to survive, you know, not that no money has been given into Ybor City. And eventually, in the, in, we're getting to it in the 80s, they did like a, a serious effort to revive Ybor City. Right. Uh, it took place, but it, there's been this sort of ongoing, like hit after hit, you know, kind yeah, of thing, city just, of immigrants. And uh, it just does not sound like it's going so well for I them. I know, <laughs> it, it kind of doesn't, right? But in 1974, Ybor City was designated a National Historic District. Okay. And the formation of the Historic Tampa slash Hillsborough County Preservation Board was formed. So that's where all those, the buildings, some of the buildings were, were saved. Many, you know, I, over 900. I think that's a lot. That, that is a lot. Yeah. I'm not good at math, but I think that's a lot. <laughs> so in the 80s, this serious effort began to kind of revitalize it, turn it into sort of an, an entertainment district. Sure. Um, like a themed, you know, kind of <laughs> capitalizing on the Latin quarter to draw people in. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is really interesting as well. It is. So, I wish I knew more about that culture because yeah. I don't I mean I know like some things you know like I know how a lot of at least I think I do <laughs> I could be confusing it with the other cultures but I know how like there's particular types of fashion and architecture and stuff yeah. that's kind of associated with that but I, I couldn't explain it in great detail yeah. you know what I mean yeah yeah I know I I kind of feel that way too it, it's interesting kind of being on the outside looking in and wanting to learn more about that mm-hmm. stuff so that kind of brings us up to back to about today I mean 1980s <laughs> is not today no um, it's close but today it, you know I, I kind of read that quote from the Gatheta guy today it's it's I mean I, I think it's kind of thriving you know there's there's a lot more to tell we're at a point though in the time that I think we should cut it all right so Jacob yes <laughs> I knew that this was going to go long so I think that what we'll do is we'll kind of stop here okay um what I have left to do is to talk about the details I want to talk details about the, the cigar workers and the lives that they lived because those were my grandparents <laughs> and <laughs> um it was such a big part of Ybor City and I want to talk more about that I also want to talk a little bit about the organ 
organized crime oh, uh, that happened. I'm really that time. interested in that. Yeah. I have to be honest. Oh my gosh, so many details about that. Cool. And then, uh, yeah, maybe just wrap up a few other a few other things. But that's kind of the overall timeline of you know the birth, and I'm not going to say death because it's it's, it's ongoing. The struggle. Yeah. I think the struggle is ongoing, but it's it's also man, it's a wonderful better. place to to be. I think I love I love it there. So. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Wonderful. Well, this was a really interesting from my perspective because I, I don't know too much about the history of this district, city, whatever it is. <laughs> Ebor, uh, not the person. I didn't even know there was a person. So it was really interesting. I learned a lot, and I can see why you would be so interested in it. So not yeah. just because of like the personal history, but also because of the. Um, there's so much going on. Yeah, like there's a and lot. I, of, I really just scratched the surface. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why it's stretching out into a second episode. Yeah, it is going to stretch out to a second episode. So real. quick quick before um, we close up though this episode I just want to mention this one book that um, I got some of my information from I, by the sure. way if you're interested in learning more about Ybor City go online <laughs> yeah. check out ebor.org their ebor chamber of commerce this book i have called the ebor city story i actually this is a funny little side note about this book i had it in my shopping cart on amazon like a year ago or more i don't know it's sort of like one of those save for later you know sure. <laughs> wish list kind of items because no, I, I get that yeah. it was really expensive where it was listed and i just thought oh, that'd be really interesting because i own i own quite a few books on ebor city a lot of them are packed up so i was sort of frustrated when we started i was like oh no I can't find my books. But this one, I was like wandering through the house. And now we live with your, your grandpa, my dad right now. Yes. And I see this book that <laughs> I, that's in my shopping cart on Amazon still. Mm -hmm. It's lying there. I, I don't know why it was out, but it's just lying there. I'm like, wait a minute. This is, <laughs> this is, this looks like the book in my shopping yeah. cart. I open it up and there's a note written in here that my mom wrote in the book, there's a post-it note and wow. it says, uh, it says that the, uh, the author of this book who, um, actually it's not even the author. It was uh, somebody who translated the book from Spanish to English. His name was Eustacio Fernandez. He was no relation to my mom, even though that was her maiden name. Um, he was my mom's Spanish professor at oh. the university of Tampa. I, I was like, what in the world? This is a crazy coincidence. So yeah. then I had to go back to my research. And this is a fascinating book. For, so it tells us the story of uh, the history of Tampa, uh, sorry, Ybor City from 1885 to 1954, focuses heavily on the first part of that. And then yeah. the later part of it just kind of peters out. I don't even know exactly when it was printed. It, oh, uh, 1976. Oh, well, that might yeah. be why then. It's got an Ybor City State Museum, Tampa, Florida sticker on the back of it. So it was probably, it wasn't a broad publication. It was probably just something for the, the gift shop or something. I don't know. Sure. But it was fascinating. If anybody wants to try to dig that puppy up, you can see that. <laughs> it's There's, apparently on Amazon. It's on Amazon, but not very many copies. <laughs> I got to, yeah. But anyway, I'll mention a few other sources that I used in the next episode too, because there's just so much and so many fascinating things and so many places I want people to read about. So I, I can feel feel like your enthusiasm yeah. about the topic and that's it. really exciting I love for me. It. So, okay, listeners, thanks so much for indulging us on this episode. I hope that you've learned something about Ybor City in Tampa, Florida. Please tune in next time when we go into some more detail and add a little bit of color and flavor to the timeline we talked about today, which is kind of like dates and people and yeah, you know, the progression of it. events. Awesome. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Confucius once said, Study the past if you would define the future. You've been listening to the History Slices podcast with Jacob and Rachel. 
We hope you've gotten some useful information from the show. We hope we made you think, and we hope you were entertained. We know we had fun, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook at History Slices and on Instagram at History Slices Podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show, and tell a friend about the show. That'll help us out, too. One more quote before we go from Michael Crichton. If you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. Till next time, this is History Slices, signing off. 